WRBH 88.3, reading radio for the blind and print handicapped. This is the music show. I'm Charles Smith, your host, and I'm here right now with Tom McDermott. Hello, Charles. Hello, Tom. Tom, why don't why don't you or I could give uh, the audience a little a little bit on your background? Well, it'd be quicker if I did it, probably. Probably. I grew up in St. Louis. I uh, started taking piano when I was six. My mother was a pianist, and she played. Uh, among uh, the things she played were novelty rags, as they were called, and so I got interested in that in Zez Comfrey and uh, eventually in into Scott Joplin when the Scott Joplin craze started and there was a lot of traditional jazz in St. Louis when I was growing up so I got into that world uh, playing Jellero Morton and stride piano and stuff like that played a little bit of band work but primarily played solo piano when I was in St. Louis. I moved to New Orleans in 1984. I had an inside track for a job at the World's Fair and I took it. Things in St. Louis were going downhill quickly. I had broken up with a girlfriend and uh, the newspaper where I worked as as a music critic had folded so it just seemed like uh, New Orleans was the place. I had also become really inf- infatuated with uh, the piano music of James Booker and mm. Professor Longhair and Dr. John and eventually Henry Butler and John Cleary and all that. Right. So uh, it just seemed faded kind of that I was able to get this gig for an out, out-of-towner to grab a World's Fair gig and in fact, I only played there, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 times, and then it, it went, the fair went broke, basically. <laughs> and uh, they started cutting back on the music pretty quickly. But uh, it got me down here, and uh, I've worked steadily ever since. Wow. That's a good, good background. Uh, the World's Fair brought you down here. Well, that was, that was the gig that enabled me to come down. Yeah. But Booker more than anything my infatuation with booker's music is really uh i was really just so nuts about him back then and less so now but still still love him a lot all right uh so do you do you do you still encounter any of the musicians you played with at the world's fair i didn't play with anybody it was a solo act uh, okay um I really played mostly solo piano until I joined the Dukes of Dixieland, which was around uh, 1990. That was the first full-time band I played with. I played a little bit of trad work with people like Jacques Goutet. Okay. And uh, I can't remember any of the other bands I played with, but uh, the Dukes was my first full-time band. I stayed with them for most of the 90s. Uh, right. With a couple of uh, sabbaticals, but I stayed with them through around 98. This is a very good gig to have. Great guys. Uh, Dickie Taylor on drums, J.B. Scott, and then later uh, um, 
Kevin Clark on trumpet and my good friend Tim Laughlin on clarinet and other fine players. So it's a very good experience for me. We went to Europe. We went to Turkey. We played Carnegie Hall. We went to Japan. Wow. It really uh, was good for me. It uh, opened me up to a lot of good travel as well as got me to learn a lot of uh, Dixieland tunes, which I hadn't been playing. Hmm. It's interesting. Any any favorites along that journey, uh, the world travels? Oh, well, you know, that would probably be a different conversation because I didn't get to, uh, well, I got to Brazil in 89 for the first time. Oh, that's um, a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing, but then... I didn't go again until after I'd left the Dukes in 2001. And from 2001 until up until, let's see, 2010, I went 13 times to Brazil. Oh, wow. Between yeah. 2001 and 2010. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was good. Very good role. I seemed to either have frequent flyer miles or I got a gig or something. It just, uh, just, seem faded to to be that way i'd like to ask you a little bit about you know your experience with the new orleans night crawlers and uh okay well that was a group that was started around 94 95 and that just happened because uh i had written a chart for the dirty dozens jelly roll album and um i pitched them another tune since I had their I was in their good graces and they decided not to do anything with it so I called Matt Perrine and Kevin Clark and we just put together a band my involvement with them initially was just kind of as a guy who got the band together I didn't really play too many gigs ever with them I mean only a handful um just never worked out to have a piano and a brass band right but um i could have been a bit more aggressive about it perhaps but anyway by the time they'd made their uh say by i don't know i got them a rounder recording record deal and then i eventually just had less and less and less to do with them i still play a couple of arrangements of mine but I haven't had much to do with them in the last uh, 10 years, really. Right about, sounds like, the time you started uh, going to Brazil? Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. It's um, a good way to put it. Uh, I really uh, went off the deep end with uh, Brazil. As Actually, my first gig down there was because of the Nightcrawlers. I got a free ticket to accompany them to a jazz festival. Oh, really? Yeah, in 2001. And um, I saw the uh, emerging Shoro scene and really fell in love with it and went back twice the next year. Shoro? Shoro, C-H-O-R-O. That's Portu Portuguese. Portuguese means a cry, literally, yeah. A cry. Yeah, chorar is to cry. Shoro is the noun to cry, or a cry. So it refers to the expressive quality of the melodies. 
And yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody talk about singers, but you can say that they have the cry in their voice. Right. And that's the same thing with Shoro music. Would you mind uh, giving us a little taste of what Shoro music sounds like? Sure. Uh, let me play. Uh, I'll just play one strain of um, one by one of their great masters down there named Pichinginha. Um This is called Proezis do Solo, and I'll just play the A section All and right. then explain a little bit about more the, about the genre afterwards. All right. That's just the A section. Now, one of the things I loved about Shoro when I discovered it uh, was that it, it, it was multi-thematic music. It was much like the ragtime I grew up playing. That is, with Scott Joplin, say the Maple Leaf Rag, you have an A section. That ends, and then you go to a B section. Then that ends, you go back to the A section. That ends, you go to a C section. And that ends, and you go to a, a, a D section, and which is... So it's, it's a form that comes out of uh, European um, music like marches and uh, waltzes even. A, we, we would call that A-A-B-B-A-C-C-D-D. And um, we call that multi-thematic form, which differs from a lot of jazz, especially modern jazz, which has maybe an intro and then a 16-bar tune, and then everybody plays the 16-bar tune over and over <laughs> for you know 25 minutes, whatever. And unless you got great improvisers, it can can get dull kind of quickly. So. To have uh, these multi-thematic forms where you can go back and forth between one and the other, uh, it's, it's, it's really fun. Now, ragtime typically is not improvised music, but the way I play it, it is. Uh, not all the rags I improvise on, but there are several I do. And when I play with Evan Christopher, for instance, we'll go back and forth between different themes like that that's uh, more of a quality of jazz but it's we do the same thing with Shoro we and and the Brazilians who are the masters of this of course uh, are very fluent in going back and forth between different sections and keeping the ear interested that way I never knew the connection well there was it's weird it, there isn't a real connection other than uh, they had Europeans and Africans down there just like we had up here and they had different Europeans and different Africans so but they still had you know some of the same traditions so it, it, it is really a 
very similar and very different at the same time. And w- so what are the roots of this multi-thematic? Wh- where in Europe and, and from what in Europe? Well, France, Spain, the coloni- colon- you know, Portugal, places that colonized England. Um, you know, I don't know actually where March form comes from specifically, but... But it derives from the March yeah, form. yeah. So as for you, how did you get involved in Shora music? Well, I was playing at the gazebo my first year in New Orleans in 84, and a man came up and said, you know, you, I bet you would like the music of Ernesto Nazare. I'd never heard of him. Nobody really in North America had heard of him, even in my clique of music fanatics. But I sought him out, and sure enough, I really did love this guy who's considered kind of a proto-Shoro He's kind of at the very early edge of of the movement. Ah. And uh, so I learned a few of his tunes. And by 89, uh, there was a great record that David Byrne put out called, um, oh, heck. Uh, Now I'm embarrassed. I can't think of what it's called. It was the first of his Brazil compilation. It's called Beleza Tropical. And uh, that was a compilation of MAPB, Musica Popular Brasileira, like their uh, 60s music. Okay. And Chico Buarque and Gal Costa and Caetano Veloso and Milton Nascimento and none of these people I'd heard of. And it really, I really loved that stuff. And I thought, well, I just have to get down there. And so... Indeed, indeed, I did make it down in 89 for the first time. So what brought you to Brazil uh, specifically on that fateful 1989 trip? Well, by that time I had been gotten kind of deep into Choro, but also, as I mentioned, the uh, MAPB people on the David Byrne Beleza Tropical album, and I think I had uh, frequent flyer miles and... I was able to make a pretty cheap trip of it. I had a place to stay in Rio. And, um, yeah, it was a trip that was very problematic, actually. I got robbed a couple times. Actually, a couple three, times. Three times. Three times. Yeah, and um, I cut my trip short. But I'm happy to say that in my ensuing trips, uh, all has gone well. I've never had any problems in the other 13 trips I've had. Uh, so. so you learned your, you learned what to do after the first one. I, you know, I, I was able to get a good, I think my favorite recording project I've ever done out of it. It's called Choro do Norche. And this is on my seventh or eighth trip down there. I, I brought Shoros uh, I had written. I took three Scott Joplin rags and a Jelly Roll Morton piece and a Gottschalk, a Louis Moreau Gottschalk piece, and uh, recorded them with Brazilian musicians. And then when I br- brought it back up here, I left holes. Basically, I had a Brazilian rhythm section. I left holes and uh, had Evan Christopher and Rick Trollson up here in New Orleans uh, add solos on top. But you, oh, you wow. could never tell that it was recorded on two continents. And uh, it was well-received. It got a Rolling Stone review and a nice, real nice review in the New York Times. So, um, 
And I just loved uh, shoroizing these Joplin rags. In fact, let me let me show you, give you a little example. I'll play a please a bit of a Scott Joplin rag called Swipesy, and then in the middle I'll switch to uh, I'll switch to the uh, shoro rhythm, which is basically the difference between the left hand. It's more more to syncopate against in the Brazilian Brazilian okay. uh, rhythm. So here's Swipesy Cakewalk. So that's just the the A theme. Once again, there's three, three or four themes in that in that piece. I think we ended up uh, cutting one of them in in the recording, though. Just went straight to the D. So anyway, you 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 hear how easily the syncopation, the syncopated melody of the rag fits with the Brazilian choro rhythm, so. right? I was the first person to uh, really do something like that, and the New York Times said said as much. There have been Brazilians who've played ragtime, but they play it as ragtime. They don't shoroize it. So, right. Wow, that's yeah, pretty remarkable. Thank you. Uh, it, and by the way, if there are any other B, C, D, or E parts to that song that you'd like to to go ahead and play, we'd love to hear. Sure. Um, let me play one of my original Shoros that I like to play. This is called Lizinha. So this form will be once again A A B B A C C, uh, C interlude back to A and a couple A's out, I think. All right. <laughs> Thank you. 
Zinia. The Zinia. Thank you. Brilliant. Uh, wh- where does the name come from? Oh, that was the name of a girlfriend I had down there. All right. You know, uh, their Inya, Inyo, is like our Ito, I- Ita, and it's the diminutive form. Uh, so, like smaller. Or little is, little, yeah. yeah. Uh, so did you pick up uh, Portuguese over your many years traveling down um, there? You know, I already knew Spanish. Uh, I had high school Spanish. And uh, I speak down there what's called uh, Portuñol, combination of Portuguese and Espanol. Oh, I don't okay. know the word in Portuguese. I just plug in the Spanish word, and they, they're so used to that down there that uh, they can understand me. So, yeah, I'm good enough to ask for uh, you know a bed or a beer or whatever I would need. Sure. Right. So, what have you been up to more recently, other than your Brazil uh, activities in the past few years? What's well? What's floating uh, your boat? I've been doing a series of duets uh, the last couple years. I've made my living. I've had four steady gigs, and three of them have been duet gigs. I and I keep making albums too. Um, my latest CD project was a duet album with Michelle Lake, the singer. Before that, it was a duet album with Evan Christopher, mm-hmm. uh, called "Almost Native." And Evan and I are like peas in a pod as far as our love of Shoro and West Indian Begin and Rag. West Indian Beguine. Yeah, this is a music from Martinique and Guadeloupe. Um, that's uh, very similar. It's kind of like a Caribbean cousin to New Orleans. Uh, Caribbean rhythm section, uh, guitar, bass, maybe piano, and then uh, trombone and clarinet, but no no trumpet for some Nothing in the reason. middle. No trumpet. So clarinet lead or yeah trombone lead and uh, beautiful stuff uh recorded in the 20s still doesn't function as uh it hasn't flourished like shoro has recently but there are people like i think evan is the best player in the world at playing that type of stuff actually any other forms of music that's been turning you yes on? i'm also really love uh french Musette, Valse Musette, which is sort of their um, their jazz, which flourished between the world wars. I don't improvise on it uh, especially well, but I like to write musettes. Which, uh, pieces, waltzes that I call musettes. Evan argues with me about this and says uh, not all the pieces I write are that I call musettes are <laughs> musettes. But um, they don't. So, what are these elements that he's drawing on to? define it as or as not well he uh, it's a hard thing for me to define i think my my musettes have too many chords to be musettes but i grew up playing chopin you know and i just love minor mode waltzes and um i've recorded uh i've had my musettes recorded on accordion, and then they really sound much more French. They really do sound like musetti. So that's been a, a love of mine. I've got to go to 
France and play a little bit of that with uh, Rick Trollson a couple of years ago. So, um, so do you do you play accordion? I, I just dabble in it. I've never been able to get around. On it. I did play one professional gig with a theater piece called Nita and Zeta, but I've never really gotten much good on it. Right. Yeah. It's hard. I've I've picked one up and realized it's not at all like a piano. It takes practice. Yeah. yeah. Tom McDermott, I want, on behalf of WRBH, I really want to thank you for uh, letting us into your home and for sharing some of your wisdom. You're very welcome. Uh, if you don't mind just taking us out on a number here, uh, we'd be so much obliged. Certainly. Let me play a uh, Vols Musette that I wrote and recorded on my uh, almost native album with Evan Christopher. This is called uh, La Manege Rouge, the Red Merry-Go-Round.
Charles Smith on the music show on WRBH 88.3.